God has given you. It's it's what makes you who you are. It's precious. Your identity is powerful. And it's been paid for at a price. In fact, the Cambridge Cambridge Dictionary defines uh, your... Uh, it defines identity as who a person is. Your identity is you. And the reason this is really fundamentally important is because if we have a misunderstanding of our identity, if we're carrying the wrong identity, if we're taking on what other people think our identity can be, then we're not being who it is that God has made us to be. Okay? So I recapped a story last week uh, about when Fiona and I were in San Francisco and we had a car broken into, we lost our passports. Uh, We had no way of identifying ourselves. Our plane back to the UK was leaving within two and a half hours or so. And the key message I was trying to bring through that story is that without our identity, we were being denied what was rightfully ours. We were being denied our tickets. We were being denied our finances. We were being denied access to the plane, which was rightfully our access because we had paid for that previously. However, it was all being denied to us because we didn't have our identity. In the same way spiritually, guys, we can lose out on so much spiritually if we do not know who we are in God. And if we cannot stand firm on the promises of who God has made us to be. And I want to recap some of those this morning. So that's foundation number one. Foundation number two is the power of our identity. It's through our identity that we speak. It's through our identity that we clothe ourselves It's through our identities that we act. We act out of our identity. And I covered that last week. In fact, the session for last week is on the website if you want to have a look. And I'm also happy to share my notes if you'd like a copy of that. And I asked the question, how much of your identity is being defined by others, your circumstances, your failures, and how much of your identity is being defined by Christ and what Christ has called us and made us to be? Foundation number three is understanding the risks to our identity. And the biggest risk, as I see it, to our identity, to our God-given identity, is that we base our identity on our failings, our insecurities. We base our identity on the opinions of others. And worse still, we base our identity on the lies of the enemy, which can creep into our hearts and our minds and cause us to live out of a false identity, We carry an identity of fear, or we carry an identity of shame, or I carry an identity of guilt, and we start to operate and behave and speak and act out of those things, and not of the life-giving, freedom-giving identity that has been paid for at a price by the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that, Elizabeth? Yes. Amen. Rock and roll. Or a hallelujah, even. That's, That's what I'm looking for right there. I said last week that I've even brought a box of my own encouragement with me, but I haven't this week, so I'm needing it from you guys as we go. So that's foundation number three. So the key, really, as Christians, is that we need to know our identity, who God has made us to be, as the dictionary defined it, who a person is. Okay, so 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. 
Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. So the four areas I'm picking out for the, this, this, uh, this whole topic of identity is number one, a chosen people. You are chosen by God. Number two, a holy nation. God's special possession. You are valuable to God. That's us. And I covered those off last week. I'm going to recap the two of those quickly. And then we're going to move into the two for this week, which is a people of God. You are loved by God. And number four, received mercy. You are forgiven. That's a huge one right there. And I'm looking forward to unpacking that and getting stuck right into that with you guys this morning. I should say uh, that the sessions uh, over the summer are being condensed down. This isn't going to be uh, a long sermon. This is going to be a concentration. This is going to be sound bites of, let's call them truth bombs, right there. And for those of you who are taking notes, take them down. Come and see me afterwards. I can help you expand on some of them. Because there's a lot in this, guys. And I think the power of the word of identity, if we can grasp it, it's going to bring release It's going to bring fulfillment of promise in the name of Jesus. That's how it rolls. So number one, just to recap, you are chosen by God. I'm not going to speak everything I spoke last week, but here's some of the sound bites. We all have an inbuilt desire to be accepted. And we can do so many strange, weird, and wonderful things in order to be accepted. And I gave an example last week of us uh, dressing in a particular way, in order to be accepted. You know, you put something on and you're not satisfied with it and you think, ah, I'm not happy with that. Why is that? I think it's partially because you're thinking about how other people might perceive you in it. Now, I don't see anything in scripture that supports that view and I have struggled with it myself with my enormous wardrobe of of wonderful clothing and and in fact, even last week, somebody came up to me and said, are you getting changed before you preach this morning, Jeff? And I, and I was like, get behind me, Satan. That's what I said right there. <laughs> John, if you're watching online, that was for you. And I thought, well, what I'll do this morning is I'll balance it out. Because last week I was actually wearing full-length trousers, and t- this week I'm only wearing three-quarter lengths. And uh, I thought I'd balance that out by wearing my genuine Jesus sandals. So I've, I have dressed for the occasion. And this morning I put my clothes on thinking, that'll do. Whereas Fiona got dressed this morning, oh my goodness. I mean, we're talking about trying to get into the car on time. I'm preaching this morning, Fiona. I need to set an example. We cannot be late. And I'm sitting there and Fiona's putting the top on and going, how do I look in this? Does it fit me? And I'm thinking, it hasn't fitted you for three years. Why are you asking me that this morning? Wait a minute. Sorry. I meant four years. (laughs) And off it came, and on it came another one. And she goes, what do you think about this one? I said, well, I think it looks equally good. But it's not equally good, because uh, this is a lot more summery and a lot lighter. And I feel a lot more sort of, you know, airy in this one. And how will we, you know, what if it rains? Is that going to work if if I'm wearing this? And I'm thinking, Lord, give me strength. You know, I need to focus on the word this morning and I just can't, I don't know if I've got the energy to cope with all of these questions about what you're wearing. It doesn't really matter because your identity is in not what you are wearing. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And we can do so many crazy things and we can allow these things into our minds that cause us really 
to do things. We, we can waste time, we can waste energy, we can waste effort thinking about what somebody else might think about us. Whoa. When did that start becoming a thing? When was that ever in Scripture as a principle of how we should live our lives? And so when you read Scripture like this, and it says you are chosen by God, all of a sudden you don't need to be chasing acceptance. All of a sudden it doesn't really matter what you wear, and your identity isn't defined by what others think, your identity is defined in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 4, again for those who are taking notes, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do you know what that means? That means before God created the earth, before he put the stars in the sky, before he created the sun and the moon, he chose you. He didn't say, I'm choosing you because on this day you're going to be wearing a tuxedo with a bow tie and you're going to be looking super sharp and matching your wife's dress. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say, my my decision to choose you is based on X, Y, and Z. He just says, I have chosen you. And guys, I hope that this morning, hearing words of truth like this, you can go, that's pretty basic, Jeff, but oh my Lord, I've forgotten. I've forgotten that. And I've got myself wound up every morning for the last week, for the last month, for the last year, thinking about what people in the office are going to think of me, what I need to be wearing for this, what I need to be saying to that, what I need to be attending in order to be seen for, for, for whatever. And God says, I didn't give you any of that. You've just picked it up along the way. Can you let it go? Because you are a chosen people. So number one, point one, last week, and I'm getting revved up here, you can tell, but I'm trying not to stick on last week's message. It's like the kingdom, I'm trying to go from glory to glory here, and I've got three more points to bring. It's a four-point sermon. I'm not sure how Gordon will feel about that. School of Scripture tells you it should be three points, no more, right? (laughs) That's how it works in the modern church. That's right. I mean, modern church and all Bible sitting right here, guys. <laughs> there it is. Although I do need glasses to see it now. That's, I'm not sure how that makes me feel. So that was point number one. You are chosen. Point number two. You are valuable to God. God values you. And we talked last week about what makes something valuable. And I shared about the Jimi Hendrix guitar, if you remember. That you can go online, type it into Google... Jimi Hendrix guitar. And you'll find that Fender have a Telecaster and a Stratocaster, and they're for sale around about 700, 720 pounds, and it's called the Jimi Hendrix. It has pickups, it has strings, it's the shape of guitar that Jimi Hendrix played, and it's 720 pounds. However, if you wanted to buy the Jimi Hendrix 1968 version of the guitar that he actually played on stage, it sold after his death, for a staggering $2 million. $2 million! Guitars look the same, they play the same, well, it depends who's playing them, mind you, but they've all got six strings, they've all got pickups, they all plug in, they're all electric. His is a bit battered and bruised, this other one's brand new, but it's 720 versus $2 million. And the reason for that is, Jimi Hendrix owned it. He played it. And so what makes something valuable is actually directly linked to who made it. Who owns it? Who's played it? Whose is it? And as scripture says right here, we are chosen. In fact, it says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Here it is. God's special possession. We're worth more than two million pounds, which is a guitar. No, we're God's special possession. The second question associated with that point is... 
Um, what is something worth? And it's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? Right. And we have been paid for at a price. When Jesus Christ died on that cross and gave his life for us, the ultimate price for sin was paid. And so this morning we're standing on truth that we are valuable. It's not true what people may or may not say about you. In fact, I can assure you that what people are saying about you is a lot less than what you think they're saying about you in their head, in so much as nobody's talking about you as much as you think they are. I can assure you of that. We allow people in our minds and we walk away from a conversation and we allow them to, to, you know, just to burrow in. I talked about the worm of the brain last week with the burrowing in and you're thinking, if they say that again, I'm going to say this. And I bet you they're thinking about that. And all they're, do, all they're doing is getting on with their day, probably oblivious to the fact, yet you've allowed them to camp in your mind and your brain is no longer in the things of the kingdom or the promises of God or, you know, the, the, the freedom and the life that God has given us. It's now bogged down with a concern and a worry and a, and a fight in your brain about what somebody else has been saying about you or not saying about you. And all of a sudden, your sense of value and worth has dropped because you're focusing not on the things of the kingdom, but on the things of this earth and its lies. And we need to capture our thoughts in these circumstances and not allow the lies of the enemy to creep in. So how much are you worth? You're worth everything because the Christ Jesus paid the ultimate price. So that was point two to recap for those of you this morning, who weren't here last week. <laughs> Point number three. So this is where we're going this morning. You are loved. You are loved. <laughs> you, you are loved. You are loved by God. So that's one Peter two verse ten says. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. God says. You are in my family. And I can assure you guys that God is not ashamed of his family. You and I might be, perhaps from time to time, ashamed of members of our family. You know, there's a saying that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. <laughs> I have a lot of family, so if there's anybody watching today or catches this message in time, you know who you are, Dave. <laughs> and you also know what you did. But it's forgotten and forgiven in the Lord. <laughs> That's point four, that's forgiveness. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come back, we'll come on to that in a minute. You know, Hebrews 2.11 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What that tells me is that Jesus identifies with us. He's called us into his family. The scripture says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. And I can tell you guys that you haven't done anything to cause that. No. That's all because of the choice of the Lord God Almighty to make us family with him. And that, therefore, means there's an inheritance in Christ. Hallelujah. I am blessed when I hear these words. And I wanted these words written in my heart as much as I want to see them written in your hearts this morning. That you are loved by God. So in the same way that we didn't choose our family, so we might not also love our family all of the time. You know, our love, to some degree, greater or lesser, is conditional. Isn't that true? And I'm sure there's times when you've not loved your partner or your brother or your mother or your father or 
other people around you, yet, yet we are called to love because we're human beings and we have differences and we have fallouts and we express those differences from time to time. Now, there was an, an instance about eight weeks ago when I was driving on holiday, we'd packed the car, and for those who have family know that that is the least stressful thing to ever pull together, is a pack full of car to leave on time. Quite the opposite. It is a grace opportunity for us all not to get wound up, to get into the car, shouting and screaming at each other, with the tears rolling down the eyes, I've forgotten this, I don't care, we're too late, you had your chance, I've not brushed my teeth, I've not been to the toilet, well, uh, you could hold it in, and that's just Fiona. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I am so brave at the front, I can tell. <laughs> Indeed, and those who know, know that I am in trouble. Anyway, so, in for a penny, in for a pound, as they say, so here it comes. And so we're driving along the road, and uh, we're, we're about 45 minutes late on our, on our way to our destination, and we've got this relaxing holiday book. We're super excited, and we are stressed to the hilt. We've got screaming kids in the back. They have been really at each other the whole time. They've eaten all the sweeties. They've got nothing left, and they're poking at each other, and he poked me, and she started it. And then Fiona's got the music up to try and turn it down, and I can't concentrate. And as we're driving along this long straight, this car pulls out of a lay-by, and I'm like, oh, no, you don't. Not when we're running late. I'm on a 60 here, and I'm doing 60, for the camera's sake. <laughs> and this car pulls out, and it's at that moment the Lord says, Jeff, right now, you've got a grace opportunity coming. And I can see the grace opportunity as this Nissan Micra, and I'm not saying that their car identifies with who the person is, because that's against what I'm saying this morning, but I made an immediate assumption about how this person might drive. And I'm apologies if you're driving this in micro. As I say, this isn't stereotypical and I'm not putting anything on anyone this morning. But I made an assumption and all I can say is I was right in my assumptions. <laughs> this car thought 25 miles an hour was adequate in a 60. And so I'm now driving along and I see this car come out and thinking this is all gonna be well and good. You and me are gonna be friends, my friend, as long as you accelerate to 60 miles an hour in the next three seconds, drop it to third, up to fourth, into fifth, and if you don't do it, I'm gonna do it for you, type scenario. I've got the kids shouting in the background, I've got the music playing in my head, and I'm thinking, here it comes. This guy or girl is getting it because they're now sitting at 25 miles an hour. I'm trying to get to my holiday. I'm trying to relax here. I'm like, Lord, you've got some special time for us. And before we left, he said, God, make this a time of refreshing in the name of Jesus, that we'll come back feeling super blessed. And I'm saying, Let, let's get there. And this person has pulled out and I'm thinking holy smokes I don't have the patience for this so I pull right up and I'm thinking I've got a, I've got a big car with a big bonnet and I'm thinking right what I'll do is I'll just send them a little message and I'll maybe just go a little bit closer than I probably should just to kind of give um, and it just became more of a grace test for me they thought 20 was now adequate in the 60 <laughs> I'm saying God everything within me now I am battling I'm now looking around going, my options are I either drive over them, God, or I just bang them out the way. God, which one of the two is going to get me into a lot less trouble? And which one of the two is going to get me there quicker? And so this person, then there's a, a section of Joe Carsby coming up, and I'm like, yes, 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 yes! Here it comes, here it comes. And I start edging out, 
and I'm partway out waiting for this dual carriageway to open out. And as I open out, there's a car coming the other way in the dual carriageway, there's a shared lane. And I'm thinking, no, this is my opportunity to get out of the grace situation, God. Don't let this person come. And so the NBA, I couldn't overtake, and I'm sitting there behind this person now, and I'm thinking, right, if you're just looking at me, she's saying, Jeff. And I'm not looking. I'm just, if you're not, I'm giving them a message. These guys need to know we're late for our holidays. This is a 60. That's dangerous what they're doing. Sitting there with a big car right behind them. This little car driving along. I can see them flick, every so often, like. 60, 60. And Fiona looks at me again. She goes, Jeff, your behavior is awful. And I've got this tension now in my mind thinking, I'm setting this example to my kids, and she's right, and I'm not quite sure how I'm going to cope with this situation right now, how I ease back and pull myself out without letting her think she's won. <laughs> and I look at her, and for that, in that moment and that glance, I just loved her that little bit less. And I pulled back, and as I pulled back, I started to feel the tension dropping. And I started to feel that my brain was not, no longer swelling, it was just pulling all back in. And I was like, God, what an Egypt that person is. No, God, what an Egypt I am. What an Egypt I am. And in that moment, you can see how our love for one another, and I, I've, I've played that story to, to the max, really but you can see the principle of where I'm going with this, is that our love for each other can be conditional. And when we made a vow that we will love each other forever, that requires energy and effort, and our love is fallible. We've got to stay on top of choosing to love. However, God's love is eternal. His love is everlasting. And his love isn't measured by how we love. And we've got to get our heads around this, that God's love is unconditional. It, it, it's not dependent upon, you know, how, how good you are. It's not dependent upon how much you've tithed or how many folk you've, you've shared Jesus with this week. Although these things might be wonderful, his love for you is not dependent upon that. And do you know how I know that? Because God is love. And scripture says in Hebrews, which I read this week, trying to disprove Samba, Hebrews 13, 8, that God is unchanging. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if God is love, his love is unchanging. And therefore, it's not dependent upon our circumstances, who we are, how good we are, what we say, and what we do. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Scripture right there. And so when we are carrying around guilt uh, and a sense of being unloved, that's not a truth of scripture. That is a lie of the enemy, bold and underlined. And sometimes, guys, we need to take captive our thoughts and we need to ensure that we do not allow the lies of the enemy to creep in because scripture is the, is the foundation of faith. It's, it's right there. We read it and we believe it and we stand on it. And we can't be shaken around like the grass and the wind. 
We've got to stand firm in the truth of Scripture that we are loved by God. God's love is eternal. God's love is unconditional. It's enduring. It's selfless. It's altruistic. God's love is not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon him. And if there's nothing else you take from today, take this truth, that God's love for you is not dependent upon you. God's love for you is dependent upon him. There's a truth of scripture right there. So, so far to recap, you are chosen by God. You are valuable to God and you are loved by God. And the fourth part of the scripture is you are forgiven by God. And I think this is one of the biggest hang-ups that we have, guys, is forgiveness. Forgiving one another, forgiving ourselves. So 1 Peter 2 verse 10 says, once you have, have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In the same way that once we were not a people of God, but now we are a people of God through nothing that we did of our own. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. You received mercy and you're forgiven. And here's the wonderful part of this. Are you ready? When God forgives, he totally forgives. Totally forgives. Mic drop, boom, word of truth. So what are we playing at? Sometimes we hold on to these, these things that we do and we, we get into a position where we have sought forgiveness from the Lord and yet we hold on to it. And it holds us back and we start to act out of, if we believe we act out of our identity, we start to act out of a place of unforgiveness. And it affects so many things. In fact, I believe that unforgiveness can also manifest itself physically in people. Physically in people. Because when you, when you walk in, a, in a, an identity of unforgiveness, it's a tense, stressful place to be. And that can manifest itself physically. That's quite a big deal, guys. If we can under, underline that and bold that and take that on as a truth, we might perhaps release ourselves of unforgiveness. And I think part of the reason we struggle with this topic of forgiveness is because the reality is we struggle to forgive. Isn't that true? I remember um, years ago, and I'm talking many years ago now, we'd been to France for a holiday. And over in France, I don't know if it's available now, I highly doubt it, they used to, used to be able to buy little red bangers from the corner shops, what would be their equivalent, and they're called Les Tigres bangers, a picture of a tiger's head on the front. And you'd buy these little bangers, you could light the end, a little grey fuse, a little bit unpredictable, how quickly the fuse would burn, but when it got to the centre of this little banger, boom, this thing went off. And you could buy three different sizes. And as a nine-year-old lad, I thought, <laughs> what else in the world will I ever want? <laughs> I mean, if I buy these things, totally made forever. So I spent every penny I had. In fact, there was a cap as to how many you could buy in shops. And I made it my mission that day when I discovered these things were available to spend my entire two weeks holiday money in various shops until I maxed out my cash. And I, believe it or not, managed to come home with a whole bunch of these bangers in my bag. And uh, that Christmas, just after the summer holidays, uh, my little sister, Jo, had gone out to the front garden. Uh, she would have been about five at the time. And uh, she rolled up this little snowman. In fact, I shouldn't be telling you this. You'll think a lot less of me as a result. <clears throat> Lord, it's for your glory, so I'll go ahead. So uh, she made this little snowman, made the body, made the head. She put the, 
put the, the, the carrot in. I mean, it was so-so, you know what I mean? She's five years old, and I'm thinking if I marked it now, I'd be saying, in reality, Joe's about two and a half out of 10. It's not great. You can't really see it as a snowman. It's just a mound of snow with a bit of a thing on it. I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll show her how to do it properly. So I went upstairs to my bedroom, and I pulled out the biggest Le Tigre banger I, could, I had left in my cupboard. And I went downstairs, and I drilled a little hole into the bottom of this guy, so the fuse was just sitting out the back. And I said, Joel, come out and see your snowman. And off she came, and I went, stood back. She's like, yeah, look at the snow. Boom! <laughs> this thing obliterated. I mean, it was one awesome bang. We live in a state where there's houses everywhere, and the bang went, bang, 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 off the houses, and I was like, yes! And there's now red paper everywhere, and Joe went, and I was like, oh, and then the realization hit, and I was like, I am in so much trouble. <laughs> and of course, I've got this problem, because where there was a snowman, there's now red paper everywhere. And this red paper wasn't quality. It's now leaking ink into, this, into the snow. I had a pink mush of snow. Mum and dad come out, and oh my goodness, I got into a lot of trouble. Now, Jo assures me that she has forgiven me for, for what I did. However... It's brought up every Christmas. Every time we sit down for a meal or every time it snows, she talks about that snowman and the big banger that blew up and how she was, she had to go for a sozo and she had to get prayed for for years and only last year after 30 years has she actually been released of the pain. And I thought, well, George, you know what? God bless you for that. What we do when we forgive is we say with the best intentions, you're forgiven because we know that's the right thing to do and we know it's a good thing to do and at times even when it's sincere, it's a very releasing thing to do, but we take what happened and we find this little filing cabinet and we open up the drawer and we stick it in the drawer and we close over the filing cabinet, we push the door shut, we lock it, we walk away and go, you're forgiven. And then what happens in time is either somebody else opens that wound or the same person, every time you see them, you start thinking back to that thing. And the danger of that is they... They cause you to, they, 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 they say something, it could even be in a word. It could be with a, the least of intentions on their part. And what you do is you go, right! And you go running over to your filing cabinet and you put the key in, you pull out the file and you walk over to them and you go, look, look at the thing you did back then. And look at the thing you're doing now. And God's looking and going, wait a minute, what are you talking about, the thing back then? That's forgiven and forgotten. But as humans, we struggle with that. And the reason I'm using this example this morning, guys, is so that we, we, we understand that God's love is not like our love. God's forgiveness is not like our forgiveness. When you are forgiven by the Lord God Almighty, you're wholly forgiven. You need to stop carrying it around. I was this morning just reading over my notes in Starbucks, and I grabbed my coffee, and I sat down, and I put my bag down, I pulled my laptop out, and I was like... That's all I needed today was my laptop and my notes. Yeah, look at the bag that I've got. And inside it, I've got all my work stuff. I've got notes. I've got books. I've got, you know, I've got pens. I've got cash. I've got all sorts of... No cash in the bag, just so you know. <laughs> There's all sorts of interesting things in that bag. And I thought, why am I carrying this around? And it clicked and I thought, okay, Lord, I'll bring that today. We carry around so much that God's saying, why are you carrying it around? That's not what I've given you to carry. 
And we do this play role thing with God where we have sinned or we have caused others to sin and we recognize it and we come for repentance. We bring you know, repentance, which is the message this morning, which is excellent, from, from Hannah. And you know, we think, right, this is a really bad sin, so I'm gonna do something extra special for this one. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a communion. I'll do a communion, that will make it better. And we do things in our minds that make it think, think it's gonna make it better. So we do a communion and we pray for ages and we're like, God, I'm really sorry for the thing I did and the thing I did, I'm really sorry. And I'm still sorry for the thing I did and the thing I did was, was awful. And, and you go down this route and you think, right, okay, God, I've prayed for, well, it's only 10 minutes, right, God. This was a really awful thing that I've done and I'm really sorry and God's like, what are you doing? And we've gone through this process and we think we've vindicated ourselves because we've prayed long enough or we've prayed hard enough or we've cried enough or we've told enough people about it. And God's saying, none of that's written down. What are you talking about? Guys, isn't that truth? Have we all been there? And then, and then all of a sudden the next day, you're reminded of it again. And you're like, God, I'm so sorry for, for that thing. I'm really repentant of the thing I've done. Release me of it, God, in the name of Jesus. And God's like, what thing are you talking about? You've brought it to me. And, this, and I, I am true and faithful to forgive. Come and repent, and I am true and faithful. That's scripture right there. And we carry it around. We do this play role thing where we think the more we punish ourselves, the more forgiven we're gonna be. Guys, that's a lie of the enemy. Your identity is not built on these lies. Your identity is built on the fact that you are forgiven. And when you walk in that truth, you're set free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And I find that wholly refreshing. And I take that before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for the nonsense. Forgive me for the things that I've carried around. Forgive me for the times where I have come and repented and then I've carried it. I've got up in the morning and I've put on that shame. I've got up in the morning and I've put on that guilt. And I'm dressing in the morning, looking at myself in the mirror going, I remember that thing and I said that thing to that person and I wish I hadn't done that. And God's saying, what are you talking about? You're forgiven. Stop it. Walk because you're chosen. Walk because you're valuable. Walk because you are loved. And walk because you are, you're forgiven. Those are the things that our identity is built on. Not your sin, not your failure, not your insecurities, not what others think of you, but what Christ Jesus says about who you are. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. So I'll just recap really the whole session, and that's where we're gonna draw a line today. I am chosen by God. Can we get the next slide? I wanna hear you all say out loud. I am chosen by God. I am valuable to God. I am loved by God. I am forgiven by God. Hallelujah. Let's stand together and we'll just close, close the session there. You know, by God's grace, our identity is defined by him. His love is unconditional and he's true and faithful to forgive. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Hallelujah. And it may be that you need to be released to something this morning and I su su suggest is that you need to release yourself. I suggest it's that you need to go back to the Lord and say, God, that word of truth this morning, phew, hallelujah, I just need to release myself of that unforgiveness. I need to recognize and know how much I am loved because his love's unconditional. And I need to know that I am forgiven because he is true and faithful to forgive. Yeah. And to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. If you wanna be confident in who you are, to be an influencer for Christ, a leader of people, want to be an instrument used by the Lord to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God that he has planned for you 
before the beginning of time because you were chosen by him, then you need to know your identity in Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. I'll ask the worship team uh, to come back for one final song before we say goodbye. That was an amazing word, wasn't it? Yeah. We are chosen, a royal priesthood. Yeah. Awesome. Pass over to the worship team. <laughs>